I do bring this extra prayer to you to help uh, that your Holy Spirit would guide me and the words I use and the message that you've helped me prepare. I pray it is directly from your heart and not my own preconceived notion. I pray it touches the hearts of others. And mostly, Lord, I pray that it is used to benefit us to grow closer to you. And we just bring this before your throne in the name of your Christ Jesus. Amen. Um, can everybody hear me just fine? Because this initial part is interactive. And everybody gets to everybody gets a shot at answering this first question, except for Larry, because he and I have had these discussions before. <laughs> um this message is not a long one, but it's like I believe it's an important reminder about presumption uh, in general. And so my first, my question is, it's going to seem arbitrary, but you'll eventually see where I'm going with this. And my question is, can someone define racism for me? Well, it's... When you have a problem with another culture or someone not like you, I guess, and it, it doesn't even have to be about uh, it doesn't even have to be about culture. It can be uh, racism comes in a lot of different forms. I think it doesn't have to necessarily be about culture or skin color or uh, language. I think it can come in different ways. Is that I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so, think. how about the word? Uh, bigotry. Okay, somebody else can take that one. <laughs> what is that? Bigotry. Is that bigotry. Like well, maybe you should ponder. Maybe you should take that one, Reggie. Well, I know, and so <laughs> that's why I. I'm is that in like? Yeah, is that a man-made word, like racism? Are those man-made words? Is that like uh, you say one thing to one person and then you turn around and do the opposite? Of the oh, right other? there. Prejudice against the person or people on the basis of their membership of a particular group. Huh. Okay. How about prejudice? Last word. Prejudice. Embedded and... Uh, Jody, you guys can feel free to jump in. Larry, yeah. you're unexcluded. <laughs> I just read some of this the other day, and I can't even remember what it was. Um, I think that prejudice is um, possibly being against somebody because of the illusion of what you see them, not necessarily who they really are and you hold it against them <clears throat> okay yeah that's good <laughs> two points yeah i get i guess my huh. question is is this all man-made is bigotry racism and prejudice are those man-made or did as god they're, i guess I ultimately they're sin directed yeah <laughs> so uh so in that sense man -made. <laughs> uh and so I want to give an analogy, and this is the last question, and then I will, I'll show you guys where I'm going here. If a white person who uses the N-word 
in a negative way, would they of necessity be racist? In your opinion? I say yes. But then when you talk to your grandkids and they have friends who are like, they're all really close, then they throw those words out there, which no, I don't I, I mean, notice the question. If a white person uses the N-word toward a black person in a negative way, are they of necessity a racist? Yeah. You would say yes. How about you, Jody? I don't necessarily think so. I think that they can be um, being hateful towards that person. I think it could go either way. Um, okay. I think you, for Betty? sure that being hateful towards that person. How about you, Betty? Betty's uh, thing is off. Yeah. Her, She's muted, I should say. Okay. So... From this point, I'm going to, I'm, uh, if you'll mute yourselves, I'm going to respond <laughs> to all of this. I can take care yeah. of the muting for everybody. Okay. Except you, I've got to ask you to unmute, Reggie. Everybody hears me? So, uh, one, is, one should notice from these questions, they're perceived definitions, uh, but the problem is, are your definitions correct? And so this is one of the, the primary examples of why the, I find this message important, simply because the term racism has been so uh, confused in our, our common, where uh, to your point, Kim, it's become so generic where the definition of racism isn't even addressed. Racism by necessity has to, uh, has to identify that one culture is inferior. It's not simply because I just don't like them or there are certain things I think that they do. That's bigotry. I can be bigoted, but not necessarily a racist. Racism of necessity identifies one culture or one uh race, if we want to use that Eth term. Ethnic group is a more accurate term. Yeah, ethnic group, but we, we tend to use the term race, and now we've made every group race, and if you remember historically, there was only really three races in terms of scientific knowledge. There was the Negroid, the Mongoloid, uh, and the, uh, it's like, and the uh, Caucasoid. Caucasoid, yeah. Yeah, and so as a result, there was only three and now we have, as to Larry's point, we've gotten to the point where we're calling ethnic groups races. Like Hispanic is not a race, it's an ethnic group. But we made them an ethnic group. <laughs> and so the problem is, and without the idea of one group's inferior, that's not racism. We have lots of big prejudices, like I have preconceived notions of people. That's not necessarily makes me racist. That may make me ignorant. And that's why I really appreciated Jody's response in the example. If someone uses the N-word, even if they meet in a negative way toward a black person, 
doesn't make them a racist of necessity. It just means because we can say mean and cruel things to people just because we're hurt and we respond accordingly. And that's what and that's what can happen. It's like a lot of us, especially men, we've used the B word regarding women, but you wouldn't say of necessity we're sexist. We use mean and hurtful words. We don't think women are inferior to us. We want to do something to hurt that person because we were hurt or we think they're trying to hurt us. So it's not of necessity. And so the reason why I give those as an example is because those are the common words that we hear all the time, but we don't simply sit, step back and take the time to examine what those words mean. So imagine if we do that in the Bible, when we come across words, we just read past them without slowing down to make sure that we're understanding those words with their appropriate definition. And so any of you have been exposed to the movie, uh, The Princess Bride, it's like you can remember the scene when Vanzini uses the word inconceivable to which the character uh, Inigo Montoya says, you use that word a lot, but I do not think it means what you think it means. And that's the problem, what, what we do in society, and it's even a greater problem what we do when it comes to Scripture. We read these words, and we don't slow ourselves down to take in mind what those words mean. And we start to use words interchangeably, like in the example I gave regarding racism and uh, bigotry and prejudice. We, uh, we confuse those terms and we make them as if they're all synonymous. And that's the problem. And so things get watered down and we call stuff things that they aren't. Uh, if somebody says something mean to me, we say, you're a racist. If I don't get a job because of the white guy, we say, that's racist. And that's not. Nepotism isn't racist. If I hire my white or my black brother, just that's just nepotism. That's a different situation. If I own a black company and I want to hire black people, it's like that's not necessarily racist. It may not be right, especially if my, my family is incompetent. <laughs> it may not be the best, but it's not necessarily racist. And so, but there is the concept, racism can be, and, and I don't want to make this about racism, I just want to use the common terms of the day to make my point. And so it may, like I say, it may come across as odd that this message is a prequel to the message regarding Proverbs uh, 3.13 through 35. And one of the things, that, uh, just being very honest, I started writing a message uh, for Proverbs back in mid-October. And every time I, it's like I would read through things, I was pausing and I'd start over and I'd pause and I'd start over. And I always thought God, I was hoping God would reveal something to me. And I realized that I was doing exactly to the scriptures what has happened in our initial discussion here. I was reading past the terms knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, not taking the time to make sure I understood uh, or I was appreciating what each of those meant independently. And that's a problem because we never want to do that with the Word of God. Um, 
Uh, similar to the example I gave regarding racism, bigotry, and prejudice, one would think that we automatically understand these three words. In actuality, the matter has to be uh, what is biblically understanding of these words. Before we can understand Proverbs, which uses these three words a lot, uh, we have to have a firm foundation on what they what the real meaning is. Otherwise, we'll just read through the passages, and the real meaning will be have no impact on our faith or our walk with Christ. And so that's the issue. So what makes this message particularly awkward is among these three words, there is an overlapping concept of them. There is concept of where knowledge and wisdom and knowledge and understanding and knowledge and uh, understanding and wisdom, they, over, they overlap. And it does become kind of cumbersome, but that only happens if we don't take the time to make sure we're examining what we're reading. And so uh, that's the reason for this prequel message, to examine these words carefully so that when we go into the following message, we fully comprehend and apprehend what the practical uh, the Word of God is saying to us so that we can apply it in practical terms. Because remember, one of the things that I always want us to uh, keep in mind, if the message, if what we read in the Bible cannot be applied practically into our world and into our environment, it's pointless. It has to be practiced. So that means we need to know what we're saying. We can't be, like I said in the, my prologue, uh, it can't be where we have a definition in our head that goes unexamined, and then we just perpetuate the problem by defining things incorrectly. Because that's what the culture has done altogether with a variety of terms. We've allowed ourselves to get caught up in definitions that aren't true and remember the scripture reminds us to test all things and hold fast to that which is true so we have to be very adamant about doing it regarding the scriptures and so as i said one of the issues with uh as we go through these scriptures and i'm sorry i don't have them on the screen uh this week has been interesting. <laughs> uh, the issue is the overlapping of terms. And so uh, this issue of overlap, as a starting point for this message, let's start with scriptures that demonstrate somewhat of what I mean by overlapping of terms. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6, it reads, Keep them and do them. That, that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. In this passage, one would think if one is wise or one demonstrates wisdom, understanding would be presumed, wouldn't it? And so, uh, yet this passage clearly makes a distinction. 
And so uh, when we go to <laughs> when we go to proper <laughs> Kelly, <laughs> when we go to Proverbs chapter one verse seven, it states the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Notice this passage on face value contrasts knowledge with despising wisdom. It seems to imply that this knowledge has some aspect of wisdom within it. And so, like I said, if we just read through these things, we're just going to make the word synonymous. And that's, uh, as, as we go further into the message, we'll see that they're not synonymous terms. Each has its own unique meaning, and each of it brings a special meaning for contextually for us to understand God's words. Continuing, James 3, 13 to 15. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Once again, wisdom and understanding is paired together as if they have some kind of relationship with the final sentence focusing back on wisdom and excluding understanding. And so I know this seems overly academic <laughs> and it's not meant to, it's just to drive home the idea that slow down and don't presume you understand words, especially uh, words like this, because throughout Proverbs, notice, it's telling us to seek wisdom like jewels, to seek a God's understanding, to seek God's knowledge, and it uses different terms. So we have to indicate in our own hearts that these are important things to understand. If these things are so precious and so important to God that he delivered to us, we need to do likewise and not be cavalier about, yeah, understanding wisdom and knowledge, they're about the same thing because we miss stuff. And finally, later on in James, uh, verse 33, he says, Oh, the depths of the riches in wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And as we see here, wisdom is linked to knowledge of God. And so, like I said, that's just a, in the area of as they're, they're kind of combined together. Uh, and so what we want to do as we go through scriptures, sometimes wisdom stands alone in its terms. Sometimes it's paired with understanding. Sometimes it's paired with knowledge. Sometimes knowledge is paired with understanding and so on and so on and so on. <laughs> and so one can appreciate the need to understand and apprehend these terms as we read through scripture and not to passively read through uh, them because we believe we understand the words. 
like I said, it goes back to our example that we started all this with, with the issue of racism and bigotry. We automatically, and sometimes we deceive ourselves into thinking our understanding of those terms, and we accept it because they become popular. And that's what we do when we read scripture, because it become popular in our mind, and we didn't do due diligence as the scripture that I forgot while I was praying. <laughs> To study to show ourselves approved, a workman need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. Ha! It's back in my brain. And so, uh, so as my earlier example of the character Vanzini illustrates the point by uh, illustrates the point by his continued use of the words inconceivable. It's like he was using that word as this was impossible or unfathomable or something that can't be done. And it was clearly being done every time, even to the fact where he's rebuked or questioned. It's like, I do not think that means what you think it means. And so that's, that's our challenge that we need to continue. Otherwise, we run the risk of either making words too similar or identical and not fully understanding God's word. So let's start with basic definitions. And like I said, this isn't meant to be overly academic, but I will qualify that statement with, remember, our faith has multiple aspects to it. And two of the primary aspects of it is there is an academic nature to our faith. We study and we, we study to show, and there's rules that we follow. We understand how language works, how poetry works, how everything uh, is like when it uses uh, types of language. There is an academic aspect to our faith. We cannot ignore that, and we have to take it serious. But there's also a mystical aspect of our faith where we can acquire information, we can learn things supernaturally that we don't necessarily of our temporal brains understand. And so those two aren't at odds with one another, they work together with one another. And like I said, this message tends to focus a little more on the academic aspect, but it's still an important issue. So starting with basic definitions, let's start with knowledge. The most prominent Old Testament word that is translated into the word knowledge is the Hebrew term da'at. And you see it in uh, Larry's artwork. Uh, I saw uh, a version of it. Uh, and, it's, and this word is associated with the concept of cunning and the term narrant, N-A-R-A-N-T. If you're like me, you've never heard that term narrant before, and I hadn't until I went through this actual study, but it is. It's meaning to know, be acquainted with, or to recognize. You're probably more familiar with this term when you put an IG in front of it and you get ignorance. And so <laughs> that's the basis of that term. And, uh, um, and it means, Narent means acquainted with or to recognize. Um, it's derived from the Hebrew term yada, uh, which is typically translated as you know. 
This signifies a common knowledge, something very familiar. In our common vernacular, you probably heard the, the term used when you're just finishing with unimportant information that people know, and uh, you've heard it in sitcoms, in other words, they finish the sentence, yada, yada, yada. It's like, and you know, you know, uh, that's what it kind of conveys in, in our vernacular. Um, and so if I were to use it for an example, it's like I went to the store, I bought some groceries, yada, 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 took up the rest of my day. And so I'm not going to tell you all the other stuff. You know, I picked up food and stuff at the grocery store. The next concept of basic definitions is understanding. Um, and this word is translated from the, the Hebrew word tabun. Uh, and the term is meant to convey the idea of the act of understanding, the definition of intelligence, discretion, reason, skillfulness, and wisdom. Notice, as part of its definition, it includes the concept of wisdom right there in the definition. Once again, uh, it's like, once again, you kind of notice that overlap of term, but we'll iron all this out as we go along in the message. I'm not saying that understanding is equal wisdom, but there's an element of wisdom that goes into understanding. <laughs> and so it, it gets, uh, and this is one of the things we want to learn to appreciate. And finally, in wisdom, uh, the word, it comes from the Hebrew word, man, I'm going to mangle this, hakmah. My, I'm sorry. This I'm clearing my throat. Uh, this word translated into English, it is meant to convey skillful and wisdom. The word wisdom has the connotation of ethical and religious, uh, an ethical and religious wisdom, as well as wit and shrewdness. So, in terms of the biblical translation, the term wit, uh, wisdom has this, this overall feeling of, of being of ethical as well as uh, it has a re religious implication as well. So those are the more common words, especially in Proverbs, that are translated from their Hebrew into English, resulting in the translated words knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. One of the things that I want to point out as we go through the scriptures that help us make sure we understand the way these words are used for the purpose of setting the groundwork on how to read through Proverbs is that if you look at these words as unrelated to one another, like I said, I don't want to make the case, I want to make the case that they each have their own distinct meaning, but I don't want to make the case that they are unrelated. Because there is, there is an aspect where they naturally go into one another. So rather than think of them as single building blocks, um, I think it's better to think of them as uh, steps with an overlapping lift on each step. And so in that way, you'll see how one interrelates with the other. So... Here we go. 
Like I said, this isn't going to be a long message, no. but I think it's an important one. No. Starting with knowledge. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, and what we will do is I will present you with the scriptures that paint a picture of how knowledge is perceived biblically, practically, uh, and so hopefully simplistically, so that we'll have a working understanding of these three words. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, it states, And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good, and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Regarding knowledge, this first passage demonstrates an awareness of something factual, especially in, the, in this case of good and evil. We know that Adam and Eve were aware of this factual knowledge because the serpent reminded them of that in the next chapter when he explains to the woman, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So they can't say that they never heard it, because even the serpent told them it again. So once again, it is clear that one of the primary components to knowledge is a factual, uh, is factual information. In Proverbs 13, 6, 16, I'm sorry, every prudent man acts with knowledge but a fool flaunts his folly. So this verse puts forth the notion that knowledge is actionable. And not to act upon knowledge is foolhardy. So once again, as part of the, the concept of knowledge in Scripture, it's not just something you have in your head so you can impress people at parties with what you know in your noggin. It's something that's meant to be actionable, to be used for something, not just something uh, academic that we have. Like we know that the gospel message saves, that we know. If we don't do anything with it, it is foolhardy. We don't share it with others, it's foolhardy. So it's an actionable, it's, it's information that's actionable. 1 Corinthians 8.1 Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something he does not, not yet know as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. Uh, I, I want to give a context of that verse before I give the, uh, the points here. Because uh, remember, this is where you have people who are, just, who are new to the faith, who came probably out of idolatry. And uh, this is where Paul's talking about the... Uh, exercising your rights as believers. And so the point here is that they're at a place that serves a food that's that's been sacrificed to idols, 
And Paul's acknowledging, hey, you know, as a, a strong believer, you know that there's no real other gods. You can eat that food. But if there's a person who comes out of that lifestyle and you eat it and it causes him to stumble, now you've created a problem, that knowledge. And so uh, as Christians, and these are the points I want to bring up about that part of the verse, as Christians, it, this seems to say we all have access, at least we all have knowledge or at least access to it, because uh, it makes the point, you have knowledge, and so or we have access to it, and obviously we have it through our, the Word of God, we have access to that knowledge, and so we're without excuse. But more importantly, that we have to recognize that that knowledge has the ability to potentially negatively puff us up. So knowledge we is like to the point, we have to keep in mind that just knowing something is like depending how we use it has the potential to have a negative impact. How many times have you known people who can quote scripture like nobody's business, but they do it more as a weapon to show you what they know and to make you feel inferior? It's like that's just puffing them up. That's not the that's not the issue of scripture. The scripture is how do I apply it to myself, not how impressive I can show others. I can quote scripture. Um, and so it goes on, uh, starting with verse seven in Corinthians, the same chapter. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former associations with idols. It's talking about the issue of uh, the knowledge of knowing you could eat food, sacrifice to idols. It's talking about the weaker person doesn't necessarily know this or may be too immature to fully appreciate it. And so it says, uh, to eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The, bro uh, the brother for whom Christ died thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. And the two not about knowledge there is, without love, it has the potential to be selfish. But with love, it has the potential to be selfless. And so those are two points regarding knowledge. It's like, Love seems to be the thing that determines if it'll be selfish or selfless. Because notice, in my freedom, I have certain rights. But just knowing if, if that uh, knowledge isn't guided by love, it can be very selfish. Hey, I have a right to drink. God doesn't prevent me from drinking while I'm in the midst of people who suffer with alcoholism. It's like that knowledge has to to be guided by love. And uh, finally, in Second uh, Peter three eighteen, but grow in grace and knowledge of Lord of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. And so, this is very simply here we learn that we can grow in knowledge in knowledge of our God, in our faith, but we, it can grow. And I would add the aspect, it should grow. We shouldn't become complacent. And this is kind of goes back to the point of why do this? Because sometimes our knowledge becomes complacent and we start to take 
things for granted. Like I said, in reading through Proverbs, I probably should have addressed this issue when we were way back in chapter 2. But my problem is, is like, I didn't catch the fact that I was just allowing myself to read. And so there's an element where we constantly have to keep ourselves in check. And so finally, just a knowledge review, going back over those verses, we can see, number one, the term knowledge has to be, includes factual information, it's actionable information, we all have access to it, especially as believers, without love, it's selfish, with love, it's selfless, and finally, it's like, like grace, we can grow in our knowledge, and like I said before, we should grow in our knowledge. And so moving on to understanding, we'll use the same format. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So this one's pretty self-evident. Our understanding of things has to, must, is required to yield to the Lord's understanding. Our understanding is finite. His understanding is infinite. He knows all. We know none. Or so close to some none that we might as well just say none. And all of our knowledge is based on what he has revealed to us in the first place. And so the point being is, with this, there's the aspect of in understanding, we have to understand that our understanding yields to the Lord's understanding. Moving on, Luke 24, verses 44 through 49. Then he said to them, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that, re uh, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Understanding requires teaching. That seems unfair, doesn't it? <laughs> kind of. No, it does not. <laughs> Although teaching can be a person... Remember, it can be that person of the Holy Spirit teaching. We're always being taught by him, if our hearts are humble to do so. And so it does require, and that's why I use the word requires teaching. Uh, it, it seems unfair. It's like, oh, we've got to find somebody to teach us. Uh, unlike Roman Catholicism, we don't, of necessity, require 
a pope to tell us what God says. We believe the Holy Spirit can teach us these things. And as a body of Christ, we can uh, congregate together where iron sharpens iron. And once again, in the midst, the Holy Spirit. And so, but it does require teaching. In Hebrews 11.3, it states, By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And so here we learn that understanding can come by faith. And that's one of the parts, if you remember early on, I made the comments that there's an academic aspect of our faith and there's a supernatural aspect of our faith. And sometimes, I don't know, uh, I can express for myself, there have been passages that I've wrestled with for almost a lifetime that God, just trusting that God would reveal a better understanding to me later on, and then supernaturally, I have a better understanding of that passage. And so sometimes it's, and once again, it kind of goes back to the Holy Spirit teaching, but supernat sometimes supernaturally by faith, it's like we get understanding. And finally, in Acts chapter 8, verse 30 to 31, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the, uh, Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And I really like this passage because it shows uh, an intentional desire to understand. And so one of the things that we have to be aware of is like here you have the eunuch, he was reading, he was searching, and there's this aspect of that particular uh, scripture and that those events where he's actively and intentionally wants to know what it says and recognizes he's in humility, he recognizes that he needs someone to guide him through it in his infancy of faith. But notice at the end of that passage, he seems to and he seems to fully understand it because remember what he says. He's like uh, regarding baptism. He's like, "There's water. What's preventing me?" So he fully grasps, understands the concept, but it's initiated by a humil humility of willing to acknowledge he doesn't understand unless someone shows him. And so, like I say through intentional study and teaching of God's word, there's understanding. And so, once again, we'll review for understanding. When our, once again, our understanding has to yield to the Lord's understanding, what the Lord says on the matter. Uh, sometimes it requires for us to have understanding, teaching by someone, especially the Holy Spirit. Um, understanding can come by faith. And finally, it does require intentional study uh, and someone and seeking teaching in others. That's one of the main reasons it's in critical that we continue to 
assemble together and not forsake the assembling together as some are in the habit of doing. Uh, it's one of the areas where we can grow in our understanding. And I, I can't emphasize enough, and this is one of uh, the one of the, the things I really treasure about my relationship with Larry, is we do have an iron sharpening iron kind of relationship where we can push back on one another, where we can we can share where we're at. And there's even an honesty uh, when we're struggling with things that uh, that I think relationships need. It, at times we can be honest where we're at, knowing that we're outside of God's will, but we're simply being honest where we're at. And finally, we get to wisdom. So in Proverbs 10.1, the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is sorrow to his mother. So we note here, where one of the components of wisdom, it has the capacity to bring joy. In 1 Kings 3.26-28, then the woman whose son was, this is the account where Solomon, the, one woman had a child that was born alive, the other one, her child died in the night, and so Solomon had to make a choice. And so we take it up in 1 Kings 3, 26 through 28. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh my Lord, give her the living child, by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall not be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. And so an aspect of wisdom we learn here. It is. It has to the ability to bring justice to complex situations. One of the things we want to emphasize here is: notice wisdom, in general, seems to take an actionable form. It's not just something uh, like you go seek a person on the mountain. And he says wise phrases. Wisdom uh, in its form seems to be more actionable than the other words. Than the other words. It seems to take a form that does. It takes all the other information and does something with it. Uh, in 1 Kings 10.1, Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord... She came to test them with hard questions. And one of the, the, the simple points I, I think this conveys is that wisdom attracts people. When someone is wise, when you know someone who knows how to make wise judgments, someone who knows how to do the wise thing, they are naturally attractive to us. That's why we tend to go to our pastors. We tend to go to because they seem to have a wisdom that helps us to train ourselves to make the same wise actions. 
And so the old, like I said, the, the main thing, one of the key things of wisdom seems to be the idea of converting that into actionable items or actionable things. In James uh, verse 1, 5 through 8, which if you remember uh, was our New Testament reading, and one of the things I want to point out about James, uh, the first book of James is, especially when it's talking about uh, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask it of God and he will give generously. Notice, it's interesting uh, to not to be double-minded or tossed like uh, to and fro like the sea. But notice, as James continues on, as after that statement, all the actions are wise actions or how to make wise choices regarding everything. And so, like I said, uh, I'll just continue on. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And so there's two aspects here. One I want to emphasize over the other. The main aspect here is for Christians, it wisdom is something that God will give generously. There's no reason for us to lack in it unless we don't believe that he will give it, as the scripture says. But it is something that God offers generously. We should never, uh, it's like, we, sh we never sh get to have the excuse of, of, I guess, I just don't have, I don't, I don't know how to be wise, because God offers it generously. It's kind of like saying, it's like, God never gives me anything. Have you asked him? It's like, you have not, because you asked not. And so you can't say God doesn't provide you if you've never asked him. And so, uh, like I said, for Christian, it can be provided generously by God. And one of the things I want to distinguish right here before I go any further <laughs> is that when we're talking about knowledge and we're talking about understanding and we're talking about uh uh, wisdom, I am making one huge presumption about everyone I'm talking to here. And that presumption is that we all understand the knowledge, the understanding, and the wisdom are, the, are regarding God and not the terms used in the culture. That's the presumption I'm making. And so, similar to, like I said, going back to the race thing, I'm, it's like, as you're hearing those, I'm not talking generically of those terms. I'm talking biblically of these terms. So moving on, in Isaiah 19, 11, and uh, 13, it says, the princes, the princes of Zoan are utterly foolish. The wisest counselors of Pharaoh give stupid counsel. 
How can you say to Pharaoh, I am a son of the wise, a son of ancient kings? Where then are your wise men? Let them tell you that they might know what the Lord of hosts has purposed against Egypt. And one reason why I put this scripture in because uh, it, it identifies when it comes from God in a negative, in a, I could have come with a better scripture, but I still like this one because it seems to convey the idea of a negative example. When it comes from God, when the wisdom comes from God, it has the ability to be foretelling or predictive in nature. Notice, as we get wisdom, we're able to kind of predict scenarios and how not to find ourselves in situation. And, uh, a common phrase you might use is like, hey, based on everything going on, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And it's like, because the, it's like, uh, especially regarding, say, for example, finances, it's like God, God's word warns us to be in debt to no one. And so someone might say, hey, there's this really cool, I'm going to loan this money, I'm going to borrow this money from so-and-so, and the scriptures can add kind of a predictive notion or wisdom without allow a certain predictive notion. It's like, is that the wise thing to do, knowing that you have other debts and that we shouldn't be in debt in general? And so... Reviewing the uh, wisdom, we see it has the capacity to bring joy. It brings justice to complex situation. It attracts others. It can provide, it can be provided by God generously if asked. And it has a predictive or foretelling capacity to it. So in summary, <clears throat> if we summarize these terms, we see that knowledge Starting with the definition that we started from the Hebrew, it means to know, be acquainted with, or to recognize. And scripture kind of fills it in a lot more in that it demonstrates itself to be factually knowing or acquainted with things. It's actionable information. The information is worth acting on. It's available information. And in its, in its use, Love determines whether that knowledge is selfish or selfless, and we can grow in the fact of that knowledge. Likewise, with understanding, the definition we started with as uh, from the, the Hebrew origin is the act of understanding, intelligence, discretion, reason, skillfulness, and wisdom. But the scripture expands that to be, it's like that understanding has to yield uh, to the Lord. Um, and sometimes it needs to be taught uh, sometimes uh, by the Holy Spirit, or all times it needs to be taught by the Holy Spirit. I don't know why I put the sometimes. Uh, it, and it can come by faith, and it comes through intentional study. And finally, wisdom, uh, the word, that, the word uh, that's content ethical and religious wisdom, as well as wit and truth, Wit and shrewdness, uh, the scripture, the scripture helps us to acknowledge that in that wisdom, uh, it can bring joy. It brings justice to complex situation. It's attractive. 
uh, to others. It can provide, uh, it can, once again, it can be provided by God generously, has the capacity to be predictive, and it's demonstrated by action. Uh, it's demonstrated by actual actions. And so, once again, we can see, and this is my, I'm going to oversimplify this, and uh, I recognize I have to be cautious in this oversimplification. If I were to take these three terms, the knowledge is basically that knowledge is that factual information I start with. Understanding allows us to use that information to assess the situation. And finally, wisdom allows us to act appropriately in the situation. And I know that's oversimplifying, but I hope it's overly oversimplifying. So I'll state it once again. Knowledge is that factual information we have available to us. Understanding is allows us to use that information to assess the situation. And wisdom is the, uh, is the ability to allow us to act appropriate in that situation. And so I say, I bring all that to your attention. So as we, the next time that we come back to Proverbs, when we're talking about seeking it like precious stones or seeking it like gold and silver regarding knowledge and understanding as we go through these things, it's like you get a sense of why it's given such value and why is knowing the basis of those things as opposed to just cavalierly running through them and thinking, oh, it's basically the same thing. They're all important. They all have the same. Yes, they're all important, but they each have their specific component that allows us to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. So on that note, Lord, we thank you for this message. I pray that it was beneficial to the hearers, um, as I know it was to me as, as we went through it. And it was humbling to recognize that as someone, I would like to call myself a mature believer, but I still make immature believer mistakes. I take for granted, I move forward presumptuously, and Lord, I pray that you would forgive me for that and forgive all those who struggle with the same thing. I pray, Lord, each time we come to your word, we come with fresh eyes and fresh ears to hear what you say on the matter. And we just pray, Lord, that you would be with us as we go forth and live out your word and share it with those in this world that needs it dearly. And we pray this in the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of your Christ, to our loving Father, we pray. Amen.